out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. It's not just the virus, and it's not just the vaccine. It's a little bit of cruelty, a little bit of inequality, a little bit of discrimination, a little bit of masking children so they can't breathe, a little, just an injection, just another injection, just losing your job, right? We don't have America anymore. Hi, this is Sheila Dean for That AI Show and the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast, airing weekly on Colin.com. We're really excited to bring you a very special guest appearance from author and women's advocate Naomi Wolf on That AI Show. Naomi is a lifelong advocate and interpreter of U.S. civil liberties and public discourse. She'll be discussing bodily privacy with us and her new book, The Bodies of Others. Don't miss Naomi's special appearance at That AI Show this Saturday, June 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, exclusively at Colin.com. Save the date. Okay, so that is it. We are official. We're live. So I'm excited to bring you Chapter 10 of the Willful Blindness Tome that has been so influential in getting this Cullen investigation into actual enforceable action in BC Vancouver. Last night we covered chapter 9 which is about the illegal gaming unit and why things are so unenforced uh, or seen as unenforceable. Apparently because there is so much income being brought in to Canada, to BC, uh, by these illegal gaming casinos between the houses, the real estate, and CCP Hong Kong, um, they just can't turn down the cash. And so the cops refused to enforce the law, and then they even bought up the unit that was supposed to enforce the law uh, for illegal gaming. They only allowed them to enforce the law against their competitors, which were the outside, supposedly illegal, unlicensed casinos who were not run by the government. BC has government-run or government-allotted casinos that bring in money for the state. That's how it works. And so the CCP figured out how to corrupt that process, and they have just been raking it, raking it, raking it in ever since. So, um, but it, why no enforcement? Because because they decided to look the other way. So we're going to continue again tonight with Chapter 10 of Willful Blindness, Killing the Golden Goose. Let me just grab my trusty glasses here. And we are ready. He loses his chips and stalks around like a caged tiger for a minute and then rushes out of the casino. In 2010, while Canada celebrated the Winter Olympics in Vancouver and the city was heralded as a global model of prosperity and livability, a small group of GPEB and RCMP investigators were in a different mood. The way Calvin Krusty saw it, Vancouver was sort of like one of those exotically colored tropical fish. On the surface, it's beautiful, but its flesh is toxic. So in Vancouver, under the sparkling veneer of wealth and health, torrents of dark money from China were flooding the casinos and empty condo towers. A new financial system based on secretive transactions had become the city's economic center of gravity. The two dominant sources of liquidity at opposite poles, drug money and capital flight from mainland China. In a November 24, 2010 letter to the Lottery Corp executives, GPEB Director of Casino Investigations Derek Dixon wrote that he was very concerned by a dramatic increase in suspicious cash transactions involving numerous patrons at Vancouver area casinos. I just wanted to let you guys know that if you wanted to chat amongst yourselves, you can use the uh, chat forum. Uh, to to make comments. It typically involves well-known LCT, large cash transaction patrons that play Baccarat and arrive with with cash as buy-in, Dixon wrote. 
We believe BCLC needs to seek solutions to the obvious and increasing money laundering that is occurring, particularly involving the flood of small denomination currency with BC casinos. Dixon pointed to one particular high roller, Lee Lin Shah, who completed a $3.9 million cash buy-in in just eight weeks. Shah, who was supposed to own coal mines in China, was one of the Jin Network's all-time top clients. In the two-month binge, Shah used almost all 20s. Night after night, he brought in about $200,000 cash wrapped in rubber bands and bricks of 10000 stashed in gym bags. In one case, Shaw quickly lost $330,000 playing Baccarat. A GPEB investigator who viewed the incriminating surveillance tape couldn't get over the imagery. He loses his chips and stalks around like a caged tiger for a minute and then rushes out of the casino. Leland Shaw was immediately met by a car at the casino's front door and handed an object from the trunk, and he walked back inside the, to gamble with the contents of the bag, $325,000 in casino chips. In his letter, Dixon informed the Lottery Corp that he and GPEB director Joe Shock had met with Inspector Barry Baxter of the RCMP's Integrated Proceeds of Crime, IPOC, team and they were all well aware of the issue and are seriously concerned that the casinos are being used as a method to launder large sums of money for organized crime groups. But the Lottery Corp refused to accept this view. As long as these foreign baccarat high rollers presented a picture ID claimed to be involved in a business of some sort and had some history of gambling in BC government casinos, the Lottery Corp considered them cash clean, no questions asked. And in an argument that particularly galled GPB, the Lottery Corp asserted that Chinese VIPs had a cultural preference for gambling with bags of cash. For them, cash was lucky, so it was inappropriate to invade their privacy and view duffel bags of cash, cash with suspicion. This was the kind of stupidity that burned Joe Shock, a former RCMP officer. Shock and his GPB colleagues were getting the feeling that BC's government actually welcomed dirty money from visitors who claimed to be industrialists. There could, or may be, a significant difference between what a person states and what is real. Financial institutions do not simply go by way of what a person states, Shock wrote to Lottery Corp executives. BC Lottery Corp had stated for years they are instituting a rigorous anti-money laundering strategy. However, over just the past 10 months, reported incidents of suspicious currency transactions and money laundering have more than tripled over the previous year. Meanwhile, FinTrack records show the Lottery Corp had made 37,000 large cash transaction reports, casino chip purchases of at least 10,000 per transaction in 2009. The large transaction reports would surge to 70,000 in 2012 and Lottery Corp's casinos, casinos would rake in $1.6 billion in gross revenue. It was almost all cash, almost all from the upstairs, private baccarat rooms, and a few casinos around Richmond and Vancouver, and the lion's share was coming from an extremely small portion of Chinese whales. But you could almost set your watch to it. Every five years or so, a scandalous BC Lottery Corp story would surface and the government would have to respond to the waves of media attention. In January of 2011, a CBC story exposed the sharp divide between Dixon, Shock, and Baxter on one side and the senior BC officials that Fred Pinnock had already clashed with one on the other. In just three months in 2010, there were 90 large cash transactions at the River Rock Casino in Richmond and the Starlight in New Westminster, CBC reported, for a total of $8 million. And while the dollar value of suspicious transactions had tripled in BC Lottery Corp casinos in 2010, the stats had dropped or remained the same in casinos across the rest of Canada. In the Starlight Casino in the spring of 2010, GPEB report showed that a man carrying a bag with $1.2 million and casino chips had walked in and immediately asked staff to convert the chips to cash. 
the VIP, Yu Xiang Zhang, wanted to fly a Montreal casino to a Montreal casino, but he was concerned that customs officials would be suspicious of his luggage, mm, about 115 pounds worth of paper bills. He was the biggest gambler in BC at the time, according to GPEB's report. So he requested a confirmation letter from the casino saying the money was a casino payout. And the staff gave the man his letter. And here's the stunner. Senior casino staff knew Zhang was supplied by a barred loan shark, Ms. Lu. She was a suspect in Quang Tam and Paul Jin's Big Circle Boys Network linked to cash deliveries and underground banking with the biggest baccarat players in Richmond. An art and an art CMP officer later looked at Dixon's case and said the casino had effectively handed Yu Xiang Zhang a get out of jail free card if the police tried to investigate him for money laundering. Hmm. Days later, a gambler walked into River Rock Casino with $460,000 in $20 bills and bought chips. The casino reported the large cash transaction, but noted none of the man's actions are suspicious. The CBC went to River Rock Casino spokesman Howard Blank for comment, and Blank said it was not unusual for gamblers to walk into the casino with bags of 20s, and the summer was unusually busy at the Richmond Casino with lots of influx of tourism from Southeast Asia, from mainland China, and a lot of the money is people who have businesses here who are taking the money out of their businesses, and they're coming in, and they're gambling, Blank said. For GPEB and police experts, this explanation was, come on, turn the page, come on laughable. The explanation was laughable. The CBC tracked down ins Inspector Barry Baxter of IPOC for comment. There was a big problem in BC casinos, Baxter said, when the bags of 20s flooding in were recorded as large transactions rather than suspicious transactions. We're suspicious that it's dirty money, Baxter said. The casino industry in general was targeted during that time period for what may well be some very sophisticated money laundering activities by organized crime. But Baxter's highly public comments made BC Solicitor General Rich Coleman livid. Yeah, I know what he said, and I don't agree with him, and neither do all the superiors of his, his and the RCMP, Coleman said to CBC. This was not true. Baxter's superiors were aware of his comments, and they were approved. Baxter had seen videos of VIPs bringing stacks of cash into private casino cash cages. The GPEB investigators had tailed or tra no, trailed these VIPs from the casinos to nearby restaurants, luxury vehicles, and parking lots where they took delivery of bags of cash. And Baxter's superiors knew this. So in January 2011, the provincial government was in a dilemma. The latest wave of media stories had come at the most inconvenient time. Coleman's ministry and the RCMP were in the middle of negotiations for the provincial policing contract due for renewal in early 2012. Baxter's straight talk had thrown a wrench in the works. Would the RCMP brass in Ottawa know or allow a mid-level BC officer's words to demonstrate that the RCMP was ready to bite the hand that was feeding it? Evidently not. A message of some sort was conveyed between the BC government and RCMP executives. Inspector Baxter was cautioned within the RCMP regarding his comments. And an independent review found a number of years later, Baxter's remarks would be the last, pu comment, <laughs> last public comment by an RCMP officer on any matter related to BC casinos for several years. But silencing casino critics in the RCMP wasn't the only problem. Public outrage was gaining political traction, and Coleman was catching major heat. Dear Mr. Coleman, I would like to express my concern regarding recent media reports of suspicious gambling transactions, totaling some $8 million taking place over a three-month period in 2010 at two Lottery Corp casinos, one critic wrote in 2011. Of serious concern is why 
did it take the news media to expose these suspicious transactions at casinos before you took action? The critic, whose name is redacted in BC government records, asked why BC casinos couldn't follow the Ontario model, which relied on provincial police officers. Organized crime is part and parcel of BC's casino operations and a serious problem at that. Why is there not a police presence right in our casinos to deal immediately and effectively with any suspicious gaming activity? In the province of Ontario, for example, there are plainclothes police in each casino. Why can't we adopt the same procedure in our province? The reason, the writer said, was obvious. Gaming enforcement is willfully lacking in our pro province's casinos, and it is clear to me that they are being targeted by organized crime groups looking to launder drug money. And the writer showed that some had paid attention to the disappearance of friend Pinnock's anti-illegal gaming unit. These recent suspicious money transactions also point to the folly of your decision in 2009 to disband the RCMP's Integrated Illegal Gaming Enforcement Unit. Its demise makes one wonder if your government is really committed to meaningful illegal gaming investigations. But Coleman countered the writer's observations. My ministry regulates all gaming in the province, ensures the integrity of gaming companies, people, and equipment, Coleman wrote back. Despite what is being reported in the media, there are several checks and balances in place to deter criminal activity in casinos. All suspicious transactions of any amount are reported and investigated by my ministry and or local police authorities. This was not true. As the January 2009 IGET report filed to Coleman's ministry showed, FinTrack was referring tens of millions worth of casino money laundering case to police in BC, yet no one was investigating. Yet BC's government had to respond in some way. And quickly, with the clock ticking on RCMP provincial contract renewal. So Coleman, Coleman called a senior official from his own ministry, BC's civil forfeiture director Rob Croker, to, to complete a review and identify areas for improvement with regard to the handling of cash transactions. Croker, a lawyer and former RCMP officer, was given until February of 2011 to file his report. Realistically, was Coleman's ministry going to review itself in under two months? I don't think so. But internal documents show that a public relations response was a big part of the problem. Potential benefits this report will respond to high-profile criticism of the province's efforts to prevent money laundering in gaming facilities in media reports starting in January of 2011. The strategic records laid bare the challenges for Coleman's ministry, especially the flameout with Barry Baxter, triggered by media reports that said the RCMP suspect mystery money transactions may represent drug money laundering operations. The Vancouver Sun, among others, reported on the differences of opinion between RCMP Inspector Barry Baxter and Solicitor General Rich Coleman. The government records say, Baxter expressed a concern about some casino transactions being reported as large rather than suspicious, asking, what is not suspicious about $250,000 in 20s? The average person on the street would go, there's something stinky about that. So why would that be a large transaction and not a suspicious transaction? But Coleman indicated that Baxter's position was not aligned with that of the RCMP superiors. The government records explained, which was a position by Coleman brought into question later with the release of RCMP documents under the Forces Freedom of Information process. Meanwhile, the communications documents noted rival politicians were on the attack. In one media report, opposition NDP critic Shane Simpson found it unacceptable for people to enter casinos with large amounts of $20 bills without arousing suspicions. Even Christy Clark, the federal liberal politician who was running for BC liberal leadership, was slamming the party, the record said. We can't have illegal activity going on in British Columbia's casinos, Clark said in one interview. Part of the reason that casinos work in BC and the public is willing to accept them as part of the revenue operation for government is because they believe, I hope quite rightly, that they're run with ethics and integrity. 
So Coleman's Casino Review would help put these public relations challenges to rest, and his ministry was ready to counter criticism that the review was a hasty inside job. Quote, given the high-profile discussion around money laundering in January and the sensitive nature of the matters at hand, we wanted to act quickly to strengthen the integrity of gaming as necessary, ministry's policy records say. That's why we drew upon staff within the ministry. Croker's review was released in the summer of 2011, and he found that BC Lottery Corp. had sufficient anti-money laundering protections in casinos, but the review acknowledged that what was blatantly obvious, gaming is almost an entirely a cash business in BC, and this represents opportunities for organized crime. The report did not estimate the scale of money laundering in BC casinos, or recommend the simple remedy that GPEB was asking BCLC to implement, capping its VIP buy-ins with $20 bills, the denomination associating with drug trafficking, to under 10000 per transaction. Instead, Croker recommended that BC casinos study ways to transition to electric electronic funds transactions. And Coleman's ministry summed up it's back to business conclusion. The gaming industry will prevent money laundering and gaming by moving from a cash-based industry as quickly as possible and scrutinizing the remaining cash for appropriate action. This shift will respect or enhance our responsible gaming practices and the health of the industry. Anyone who had followed the history of casinos in BC would have been skeptical. And the internal records indicated Coleman's ministry was worried that Croker's review found that GPEB didn't have the same powers to investigate money laundering in casinos that the RCMP did. In other words, after Coleman's ministry disbanded, Fred Pinnock's anti-illegal gaming unit, literally no one was investigating casino money laundering. Without changes, Croker Review said, money laundering will infrequently rise sufficiently in priority to warrant investigation by police. So Coleman's ministry was prepared for questions in case reporters asked, is it possible for the province to eliminate some of these barriers for GPB's investigators? Will you make it happen? And the answer was no. Certain investigative abilities rightly fall to the RCMP, strategic communications records say. As such, I don't foresee expanding the investigative powers of GPEB at this time. And Coleman was also prepared if any reporter caught on to the Croker review sentence that said money laundering will will infrequently warrant investigation by police. Oh my God. And ask Coleman what that statement implies that RCMP proceeds of crime unit are not taking suspected money laundering at casinos seriously. Is this an issue you will raise with the RCMP as part of provincial policing contract negotiations? Coleman's prepared answer was no. Increasing RCMP policing of casinos would certainly not be part of the upcoming provincial policing contract negotiations. I am confident the RCMP takes money laundering investigations seriously, was Coleman's prepared answer. Finally, there was the lingering question about BC casino governance and the conflict between revenue generation and enforcement. In a 2007 audit of corruption in BC lottery payouts, an independent reviewer recommended that Lottery Corp and GPEB be split into different ministries. In other words, the money maker and the regulator should not be serving the same master. But Coleman's ministry was ready if a reporter noticed the Kroger Review had not made this recommendation and asked, how can we be assured that government re revenue goals won't trump improvement to casino security and compliance? The ministry's prepared answer was concisely Orwellian. The governance model for gaming in BC ensures decisions are made in an open and transparent manner and are free from influence. So no changes would come out of the ministry's review of BC casino re revenue machine. The RCMP would not target organized crime in BC lottery casinos. GP investigators would not be given the powers to tackle transnational loan sharking rings. Criminality in BC casinos would be studied, supposedly, but not enforced. Hockey bags of 20s would not be rejected, and the shit show would continue. 
and the RCMP in British Columbia would renew their provincial policing contract for 20 years in early 2012. The non-policing of BC Lottery Casinos had evidently not been a sticking point, and BC gained more control over the federal force. Through the new agreement, British Columbia will have increased input into issues affecting the cost, quality, and standards of contract policing before decisions are made at the federal level, Canada's federal government announced in a March of 2012 statement. Meanwhile, later in 2012, the BC government would announce that Robert Croker had retired from public service. With little fanfare, Croker was hired as a director of compliance with Great Canadian Gaming and its flagship operation, River Rock Casino in Richmond. Barry Baxter was out of the picture, too. In late 2011, the RCMP's IPOC unit was defunded. In Ottawa, the rationale was that federal policing had to focus on terrorist threats. Money laundering, the lifeblood of transnational organized crime, but also of narco-terror networks such as Hezbollah, would now be completely ignored by Canada's national force. And it was tragic because in late 2011, IPOC and GPEB worked together to investigate the mainland China loan sharking network servicing VIPs at River Rock Casino. Paul King Jin and Kwok Chung Tan were finally serious targets for the RCMP, but the investigation died with IPOC's demise because GPEB was not empowered to investigate money laundering in BC Lottery Corp casinos. The reason? Chinese transnational gangs had become so powerful inside a few Vancouver casinos, especially River Rock, that GPB staffed, judged any money laundering investigations would threaten their personal safety. They knew that loan sharking gangs were violent, and these narcos possessed restricted weapons and even go owned gun shops. So it was open season inside Lottery Corp casinos. Drug money laundering was growing exponentially. Dot, dot, dot. On February 28, 2011, GPEB's Director of Investigations, Joe Schock, had written again to BCLC, warning that monstrous bulk cash loads involving a significantly large number of patrons using large quantities of $20 for buy-ins were trending higher and higher. This threat will increase into the future if something is not done, Schock wrote. Not all of the Chinese VIPs were believed to be criminals, the letter said but almost all were knowingly dealing with organized crime loan sharks. And they didn't have to win at Baccarat to launder money, contrary to BCLC's blinded arguments. Regardless of whether they win or lose all of the money they buy in with, we believe in many cases these patrons are at the very least facilitating the transfer and of laundering of proceeds of crime. Shock wrote, that the money laundering occurred when the VIPs paid back their criminal cash lenders, whether through checks, wires, ownership transfers of houses or vehicles. But BCLC did not want to hear it. So throughout 2011, the GPEB IPOC investigation was the only thing standing between Silver International, nascent underground banking network and the Lottery Corporation's bulk cash refining laundromats. After IPOC was wound down in early 2012, Silver's network supernode Paul King Jin was first flagged for suspicious transactions at River Rock Casino as VIP high roller. On November 5, 2012, the Lottery Corp banned Jin from all its casinos for five years for alleged loan sharking violations, a report filed with Fintrack says. The Fintrack report says that Lottery Corp money laundering investigators considered Jin to present an extreme risk to BCLC and its gaming service providers, but the ban turned out to be meaningless. Jin and his legion of runners continued for years to deliver cash to Silver's Chinese VIP clients at River Rock Casino. How is this happening? What about the government's promise that the gaming industry will prevent money laundering and gaming by moving from a cash-based industry as quickly as possible 
and scrutinizing the remaining cash for appropriate action. On paper, the records show the government's supposed electronic transactions study group continually emphasized progress in this area. But frontline GPEB and BCLC investigators saw no progress. In fact, the opposite was happening. As baccarat bet limits were raised, the flood of suspicious cash, of course, increased. Ross Alderson, who was on the River Rock Casino floor in 2012, believed the VIP room was full of cash facilitators, and his testimony was about about this was later reflected in BC's 2018 independent review into casino money laundering. Alderson also told the review he felt questionable friendships had bloomed between some of the senior managers at River Rock and some major VIPs. So in 2012, Jen and his gang were operated, operating unimpeded. So a hard-bitten, sarcastic brand of humor started circulating in GPEB's Burnaby office. We know the cartels in Mexico also have warehouses of cash just waiting to be moved, the investigators would joke. And we have no problem with bulk cash from China in our casinos. Why don't we just put up a sign at the border, BC casinos open for money laundering? It was just a joke, but at that, at that time, GPB had no idea how right they were. The Chinese underground banking networks actually had taken over the so-called black market peso exchange from Colombian and Mexican money launderers. Jin and his gang were one piece of an incredibly complex shadow banking system that leveraged drug cash and international trade to launder Latin American cartel money from BC to China and back to Mexico and beyond. They were moving almost all of the cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and fentanyl proceeds on the west coast of North America. And as far-fetched as the premise of the joke, BC actually welcomes drug cash. GPB and BCLC investigators had heard senior officials express similar thoughts. It was very seductive reasoning. The thinking was crime and money laundering will happen whether the government is running legal casinos or organized crime is running underground casinos. All societies have crime. You can't stop people from gambling. So the officials argued the government should crack down on illegal casinos and divert criminals into legal casinos and vacuum up all the dirty money just like a tax. With the criminal proceeds reclaimed by government casinos, profits could be used to pay for schools and hospitals and social programs. In other words, government casinos would become the ultimate money laundering machine and a banana republic narco state economy. It was insane. Dot, dot, dot. On October 25th of 2011, at 5.35 p.m., a black Rolls-Royce Phantom pulled up to the Starlight Casino in New Westminster. The owner, a Chinese industrialist named Guo Taishi, who owned at least $30 million worth of properties in Vancouver and Richmond, carried a bag with $7,520 bills into the VIP room. The bricks of cash were all wrapped in rubber bands. The cashier gave Xi... $150,000 of high-value chips, and he sat to play Baccarat. She was reportedly a pretty good gambler, but it wasn't his night. He had lost all his chips by 7.30 p.m., so he got up to make a call and walked down to the lobby. Paul King Jin had many beautiful cars, including a Bentley, but there was a fleet Jin used specifically for casino parking lot cash drops. Soon after she made this call, Jin arrived at the Starlight with his silver Lexus SUV. He had a passenger in a bag with $150,000 in cash, which he delivered to Xi. Jin was already a barred loan shark. He had been caught at River Rock Casino, but continued to deliver cash personally and through his many runners to Starlight and River Rock. Unfortunately for Jin, Mike Hiller was the investigator reviewing footage at the Starlight in October of 2012. Hiller barred Jin for five years for delivering cash to Xi. Jin, always brazen, made a BC Lottery consumer complaint. Wow. He told Hiller that she was his boss and that Jin had not even entered the Starlight. Right. You transferred the cash in the parking lot, Hiller replied. Jin accepted the explanation and hung up the phone. 
The workaround was simple, though. Just avoid casino parking lots. Oh, okay. Well, inter internal emails exchanged between BCLC investigators in 2014 explained how Jin's network continued to flood tens of millions into VIP rooms. Attached to this email is a collection of the top 10 money facilitators that work out of lower mainland casinos with a majority devoted to River Rock patrons. One email leaked to me says, of course, Paul Jen is the number one target and is currently banned, but is extremely active and has numerous people working for him. But there is no explanation that I have found in documents aside from the BC government's revenue generation objectives. Why BCLC management allowed the flood of loan sharking cash to continue. The GPEB investigators were standing by almost helpless. At the least, they hoped to limit suspicious cash by keeping a lid on betting limits for Baccarat, the game that ushered in big time Macau money laundering into Vancouver casinos in 1997, when bet limits were raised from $25 per hand to $500 and increased exponentially ever since. Finally, the conflict between BCLC and GPEB over Baccarat VIPs came to a head. A complaint letter sent December 19, 2013 from BCLC Chief Executive Michael Graydon to John Major, the bureaucrat in charge of GPEB, said that in September 2013, BCLC had requested to raise VIP betting limits for Baccarat again to 100000 per hand in time for Chinese New Year, quote, particularly at Richmond's River Rock Casino and Vancouver's Edgewater Casino. The raised Baccarat limits were needed to provide greater player convenience during peak period for casino visitation and revenue, Graydon's December 19, 2013 letter says. But Graydon had been angered by the regulator's temerity. BCLC was informed that GPEB would need to approve any change to table limits, his letter said. GPEB, of course, had concerns. Baccarat was the primary channel for money laundering in BC casinos. If you raised bet limits, you just opened the floodgates to wider to and attracted the world's biggest money launderers. A brief note was escalated to Mike DeJong, the BC Liberal Finance Minister who took over BCLC and GPEB from Rich Coleman after the Barry Baxter controversy. The GPEB note informed DeJong of integrity of gaming concerns if Baccarat betting limits were raised to $100,000 per hand. We have the right to set policy and issue a directive if we have concerns, a GPEB official explained to DeJong's staff. We do have some related to money laundering. The briefing note showed that BC casinos were an extreme outlier in Canada for high-limit games, but the minister was required to intervene with a signed directive to overrule GPEB's anti-money laundering directive, and the Lottery Corp got its way. However, by choosing to write a domineering letter to GPEB, Graydon created a critical paper trail that eventually helped me prove how the government's greed had trumped money laundering warnings. And a very simple decision took 13 weeks to resolve, and if not for senior level intervention, BCLC and the province of BC would miss out on an important incremental review opportunity, Graydon concluded in his December 2013 letter. The records were revealed only because the end DP casino critic David Eby filed a legal appeal over the lottery court's failure to release documents. Eby was probing whether Graydon, who retired from the lottery corp in 2014 and jumped into a job with Vancouver's Edgewater Casino, was in a conflict of interest. It is evident from the records that Mr. Graydon advocated, despite the concerns of the Gaming Policy Enforcement Branch, for an increase in the maximum bet limit, Evie's letter to the BC Records Disclosure Office said. And the final piece of the puzzle for me came in a BC legislature debate. It's a legislature debate. Under questioning from Evie, on the record, DeJong denied that Graydon had personally benefited from the government's decision to raise back rat limits. According to DeJong, his ministry's intervention to approve $100,000 back rat bets was made in the public interest. 
in order to maximize casino revenue. For me, this was sufficient evidence and BC revenue trumped money laundering concerns. However, in stunning testimony during the Cullen Commission in 2021, Graydon said in hindsight, the Lottery Corp was fulfilling its mandates to maximize revenue and also money for mon money laundering by accepting and reporting massive suspicious transactions. He was asked by a commission law lawyer if he could give any good reason to take in $200,000 in $20 bills bundled in elastic bands and delivered a casino cash cage and a grocery bag late at night. <laughs> God, so corrupt. Sorry. <laughs> Graydon acknowledged such transaction were obviously suspicious. <laughs> but Fintrack actually wanted the Lottery Corp to accept these transactions so they could be reported to police and then investigated, he said. My concern was that we continue to work with our regulator and stakeholders, but Fintrack vehemently denied Graydon's answer by saying the federal regulator would never tell a business to accept a bulk cash buy-in. And in cross-examination at the inquiry, Graydon backpedaled and said he was very likely mistaken. And of course, as we know now, for some reason the RCMP wasn't investigating casino money laundering files in BC referred to police by Fintrack. The changes directed by DeJong took effect in January of 2014, upping the maximum get aggregate bet limit in BCLC VIP rooms, meaning one gambler's total combined bets at the back red table from 45000 to 100000 See River Rock VIP Renovation Plan Appendix A, which is not here. Also in 2014, coincidentally, the underground bank Silver International Investment was registered in BC. It was located in, in a Richmond office tower, seven minutes by car from River Rock Casino. In the aftermath of the Finance Ministry Directive, Lottery Corp revenue immediately spiked. One year later, the Lottery Corp reported that exceptional performance in high-limit Baccarat games drove a record of 125, sorry, $1.25 profit. But at the same time, the impact that GPEB warned of, an unprecedented flood of money laundering was unleashed. Suspicious transactions in Lottery Corp casinos had surged from 459 in 2011 to 1,013 in 2013. None of these suspicious transactions reports were investigated by RCMP. And in 2014, apparently because GPEB was on the warpath, Lottery Corp investigators reached out to BC's Combined Forces anti-gang unit to share information about Paul King Jin and undesirable gaming patrons. Just as an FYI, our main target at River Rock has been extremely active of late and actually been on the property several times making deliveries of cash himself and investigator Daryl Tottenham emailed in July of 2014. Their main vehicle is a white SUV that parks on the River Road, avoiding our license plate recognition system most times. Last week, Jen dropped two loads of half a million per load to the same guy and a few smaller loads, 203,000K each. So he is a busy boy. Another email at the Top 10 Loan Sharks were working out of a Vancouver area casino showed almost all were Jen associates with the majority devoted to River Rock patrons. In the fall of 2014, the underground bank from China was pumping at historic highs, and the floodgates burst in Lottery Corp casinos, with month monthly suspicious cash transactions averaging $20 million. In October 2014, Joe Schock and his GPEB colleagues recognized that one of Jin's alleged River Rock VIP room clients, Kessie Wei, a Chinese national who had bought 10 million Vancouver home took cash delivery of $645,105 in small bills and entered River Rock Casino. It was just one of the many extremely large cash buy-ins seen by investigators that month. So for some in GPEB, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. They complained about Kessie Wei and Jin's network at, to the Lottery Corp, triggering an, an internal investigation. 
and Lottery Corp investigators started to directly question VIPs at River Rock Casino. But at the same time, River Rock Casino managers were concerned that Lottery Corp investigators were questioning the Chinese VIPs. Lottery Corp records leaked to me say a meeting was arranged at River Rock with Rob Croker and several managers to discuss the approach of VIPs and the related issues of cash deliveries, chips leaving the casino, and the amount of extremely large cash buy-ins that we are seeing recently. There was concern from River Rock staff that if we are going to be questioning VIPs, they would like to be able to have staff bring the patron to a private room and be involved in the process and be given the opportunity when possible to deal directly with the patron. A conference call was arranged between BCLC Vice President of Compliance, Brad Desmarai, Great Canadian Gaming, and River Rock Casino Security and Compliance Director Rob Croker, Great Canadian Gaming Vice President Walter Sue, and Great Canadian Gaming Chief Operating Officer Terence Doyle. Conference called to discuss patron Kessie Way's recent use of large volumes of unsourced cash and casino value chips at River Rock Casino one meeting record said. This has attracted the attention of the provincial regulator GPEB. GCGC Walter Sue advised that Kessie Way is in Canada on a 10-year visitor visa and that he has significant assets in general as well as acquired assets at the Shaughnessy area of Vancouver. According to the meeting notes, Desmarai told the River Rock managers, the message also needs to be communicated not only to KW, but all his associates that he must stop using cash or unsourced chips from individuals such as Jin and Keen. But if Paul Jin was feeling any pressure, he didn't show it. Business at Silver's cash house was booming, and the management was not taking chances on security. In court records, I found that in November 2014, Silver International Investment sued a Richmond contractor in small claims court because the glass entrance installed in their downtown Richmond office was not bullet resistant, and it was a material term of the contract that the glass must be bullet resistant. So Silver has received a quote and contracted another company to replace the existing glass with bullet resistant glass. Meanwhile, in December 2014, BC's government fired GPEB's director and executive of investigation, Joe Schalk, and Landy Van Larry Vandergraaff. Sorry. Vandergraaff had just escalated a stunning report to his bosses detailing a Kessie Way buy in of $1 million at River Rock. Way had lost 50000 made a call, and got into a black Mercedes SUV outside the casino. He quickly returned and bought in with 500000 from Paul Jen, bundled and secure with elastic bands inside silver plastic bags. But he lost everything in almost an hour, made another call, walked inside, and got into a light-colored Range Rover. None of the, no other than Kwok Chung Tam, who was barred from casinos for public safety reasons, was seated inside. They pulled up to the casino entrance and Wei walked into the VIP room with a suitcase that held $500,000 in $20 bills bundled in silver plastic bags. Wei would later claim to Lottery Corp and River Rock Casino staff that he didn't even know who was giving him this cash. They warned Wei to be careful. Records filed in the Cullen Commission say because Paul Jin was involved in criminality and Wei was laundering Jin's cash with casino chips and playing Jin paying Jin back with checks. Wei's answer? When he wanted cash in River Rock, he made a call directly to Macau. And then someone delivered the cash. And that was all he knew. Wei is a recent arrival from China, involved in numerous suspicious cash transactions, Vanderraff's report said. Tam is currently prohibited from BC Casino as a result of suspicious load-sharking activities. He is an associate of Paul King Jin. And Vandergraaff added a handwritten note, Paul Jin, known loan shark associated with Chinese organized crime activities. Hmm. The report went straight to GPEB general manager John Major, 
Vandergraaff warned BC casino owners that could be facilitating money laundering and GPEB could be failing in its moral duty to ensure the integrity of BC casinos. Vandergraaff believed the regulator needed to act immediately and cap the flow of $20 in any casino could accept in a 24-hour period. So many gangs were active in several big casinos. Violence was rising. There had just been a contracted killing, he warned bosses, and GPB estimated suspected money laundering at almost $200 million annually in Lottery Corp casinos. But Major didn't respond to the report. In the Cullen Commission, he testified that Schock and Vandergraaff were not fired for urgently pressing BC's government to crack down on hundreds of millions of suspicious $20 bills, but rather an audit of GPEB had turned up problems. However, Schock and Vandergraaff and all their subordinate investigators still believe they were fired for blowing the whistle on the BC government laundromat the commission heard in 2021. It is my belief and my knowledge that this was allowed to happen, Schock told me. BCLC could have stopped this. Service providers could have stopped this. This was not unwitting. So if you look at it with an investigative mind, there is complicity. And if it is deliberately allowed, the next question is, where does the conspiracy start and end? And what different groups could be involved? And as I reported for Global News during 2015, after River Rock management had been directly warned about Jen and VIPs such as Kessie Way, staff at Richmond's River Rock Casino, are alleged to have knowingly accepted about $4 million in suspicious cash buy-ins from Jen, according to the allegations in GPEB documents that I obtained through Freedom of Information. The records in said Jen continued to deliver cash to Chinese VIP clients at River Rock Casino in areas visible by surveillance. In response to my questions for Global News, Great Canadian Gaming's Chief Operating Officer Terence Doyle said, I'm unaware of any employees knowingly accepting cash transactions from banned customers during any period of time. And when I asked about Paul Jen's alleged cash delivery network, the company said that Great Canadian initially detected this suspicious activity at River Rock in 2012 and our comprehensive and ongoing monitoring and reporting to BCLC was, in fact, crucial to identifying these individuals to, to the authorities. Okay. Finally, in February of 2015, members of the BCLC's anti-money laundering team met with RCMP to lodge a complaint about cash drop-offs at casinos involving a male by the name Paul King Jin, who was believed to be associated to organized crime. But that same month, the Lottery Corp's new CEO, Jim Lightbody, didn't seem at all concerned about the risk presented by Jen and his VIP clients. In a Victoria Times columnist reports, headlined, High Rollers Betting $100,000 a Hand Boost Revenue for BC Casinos, the newspaper reported BCLC expected to boost profits in 2015 thanks to an influx of high-rolling gamblers from mainland China. Lightbody sided with lottery sales softening. Uh, the Crown Corporation and its partner casinos on the lower mainland have focused on attracting wealthy industrialists and businessmen keen to play Baccarat for up to $100,000 a hand. And the strategy enabled BCLC to surpass its target of $1.2 billion in net income from March 2014 to March 2015 due to an increase in high-limit table revenue. Lightbody said casinos have increased the number of private rooms or salons and raised table limits to $100,000 from $500,000 a hand, the Times colonist reported. Lightbody said the Baccarat salons mostly catered to Chinese VIPs who commonly bought in for $200,000 per casino visit and prefer dealing in cash. So they do come in with bags full of money for their buy-ins, Lightbody was quoted. We know them very well. We know their source of wealth. We know all their personal information. 
they need to share that with us for regulatory reasons. But these people are multimillionaires and, in some cases, billionaires. And Lightbody was similarly effusive in a speech to staff at Lottery Corp headquarters in Kamloops. Didn't sit well with Mike Hiller, who was not shy about speaking truth to power. Since the 1990s, few, very few of Canadian investigators have had a better handle on North America's heroin and fentanyl kingpins. Hiller was there for the major heroin importation bust in the 1990s in Vancouver and Victoria. He was there in Thailand acting as a police liaison for the investigations of the Canadian Big Circle Boys, who had become bigger than El Chapo. And Hiller knew Paul King Jin. The 150000 delivery from Paul King Jin to Guo Tai Chi in October of 2012 would lead directly to Hiller's bombshell eye track report in 2014. Hiller based his internal report on confidential sources from Big Circle Boy Networks. They told him the major loan sharks operating out of Vancouver casinos supplied almost all the VIP gamblers, and in almost all cases, the cash loans were repaid in China with a commission, and the loan sharks were major drug traffickers. Hiller had nailed the Vancouver model and escalated the report to his bosses. And so, sitting there in Kamloops, he couldn't stand hearing light-bodied brag about skyrocketing profits from Chinese VIP backrat players. Lightbody would later testify in BC's money laundering inquiry that he had full confidence in his compliance managers, including Terry Towns and later Brad Desmarai, to monitor and report on suspicious casino transactions. So Hiller wrote an email to his direct boss, Brad Desmarai, the former RCMP anti-gang officer. He believed that Desmarai and his superiors were looking for alternative explanations for the loan, loan shark cash rather than drug proceeds. And he had written to Desmarai about it before. I, wa- I wasn't surprised during our meeting in Kamloops to hear that we experienced greater profits last year from high-stakes table games, Hiller wrote on March 24, 2015. This seems to be directly related to the increase in large cash buy-ins and suspicious transactions that I noticed for table games during that same period. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the subject line of Hiller's email cited his 2014 iTrack report. Always a diligent investigator, he referred Desmarai with evidence. The seminal report explained exactly where Paul King Jin and Kwok Chung Tam and the whales got their cash and how it was repaid in China. All but one of the Asian persons mentioned in the report have been the target of a series of major drug investigations since the 1990s, Hiller wrote to Desmarai. I believe the persons mentioned in this report are responsible for an abundance of cash being supplied to our VIP players. They, and likely many more of them, have connections with our Asian VIP players on both sides of the Pacific. The familiar names we know to be delivering cash to our casinos are merely runners who are easily replaced. The volume of cash deliveries is a huge reputational risk. And Desmarai replied that he had heard or read Hiller's 2014 iTrack report. Thanks, Mike. I do recall reading this before. Obviously, the drug connection is a huge concern, and we are attempting to engage a police response with respect to the main players in your report. But I am resistant to branding all cash facilitators as dealings and proceeds of crime, Desmarai continued. In my past life, we encountered many underground bankers who used other sources of cash. Purchase of real estate, luxury goods, and cars is accelerating in the lower mainland, not diminishing. The conclusion was obvious. Desmarais and his bosses did not want to confront the suspected source of funds in Chinese underground banking. They were looking at the scales of the exotic fish dazzled by its beauty. They ignored the poison flesh inside. And that's a wrap, sirs. Thank you for joining us here on Unsanction Your Mind 2022 Summer Reading Series. Uh, that's the end of the, the reading for this week. We will rejoin together here at <clears throat> 7.20 p.m. for Narco City, Chapter 11 in Willful Blindness. 
Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are...